Hey friends, welcome back. We're halfway through a two-part series on just war, etc. So I'll just jump right to it. I want to remind you that there is a little bit of discussion, though, on this show about sexual abuse and sexual abusers, and uh, we're doing so not in a in a way that's going to be rehashing too much of the details, but we are going to be talking about those themes. So if that's not something you want to be uh, into right now, then you can skip this episode, maybe come back to it uh, at another time. But uh, generally speaking, this show is going to get right down to business with Lao Tzu and uh, Chapter 69 of the Tao Te Ching, where he talks about warfare, and then we're going to talk about Western Christian thinking uh, related to just war theory, and we're going to apply it all to the question of how and when we should engage with people who are problematic in our lives. Thanks a bunch. Let's go. Hey friends, we're going to jump right in because this is part two of our conversation about just war and... Uh, this is really the second part here where we're going to actually get to the question of war, and we're not just going to look at it from the Western position. We're going to look at it from some of the interesting stuff we've been finding as we looked at the uh, at the Chinese philosophy and Chinese political philosophy. Yeah, when this chapter immediately came to me when we were thinking about just war theory, I'll go ahead and read it. So it's chapter 69. From Lao Tzu, Tao Te Ching. And this is the translation that Jeff and I have done. Old military wisdom advises, when it comes to war, I don't plan the party, but I'll show up if invited. I'd never consider seizing an inch of your ground, only whether I'll concede a foot of my own. This is gaining ground without invading, raising a fist without throwing the first punch, engaging enemies without considering them enemies, Arming yourself with something stronger than weapons. There's no worse catastrophe than disregarding your adversary. One time, I disregarded an adversary, and it nearly cost me everything I hold dear. All else being equal, when there's a fight, the side that laments having to fight wins in the end. Yeah, there's a lot on this one. Some <laughs> of the chapters are shorter. This one's, this one's pretty thick. Yeah, and this one, it's it's interesting because there's the first part that when it comes to war, I don't plan the party, right? So he's not trying to be the one that's going to initiate the fight. And I think this is important because sometimes people think, you know, Jesus or Lao Tzu are just pushovers. They're, they're weak sauce, you know? No, and sometimes, I mean, again, it's, 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 it's deciding whether or not to engage, but once you do engage, then you're going to go in full force. You've got to be decisive. Mm-hmm. You've got to be calculating and you have to you have to be ready not to just back down. I think this is important for all of you dear listeners who you know kind of follow us because you've you've wondered how is it that that people have been able to manipulate you in the name of religion or you know people who have been able to maybe take advantage of your boundaries and things even in your relationships. Well this is to say that to be a person of peace and love and reconciliation is important, but that does not mean that we don't show up when the, when you need when to. We need to, yeah. yeah. And I and I appreciate the part where it says that, or, or is it? Uh, let me read it. That I never consider seizing an inch of your ground, only whether I'll concede a foot of my own. So mm-hmm. 
not even an inch. She won't even, you know, try to take something that's not his, right. you know. And, it's and, never aggressive. It's never some some kind of spiritual or literal mm-hmm. pillaging. That's not what we're doing. And he's willing to give up to even maybe a foot of his own land. And at a certain point, like you said, there's a there's certain boundaries crossed where now this is no longer acceptable I, and I, not, something needs to be done. If we go back to the question that Alice asked that we started with last last episode where she's asking you know, when, when do I engage somebody who's not doing something evil? Mm-hmm. It's just something that's making me uncomfortable. Well, I think what Lao Tzu is saying is sometimes we just let stuff slide. Right. Sometimes we do. And that's not because we're weak. We're strong. We're together. But we... When it crosses a certain line... Yeah, we figure out what that is. Then you, need, then you need to defend yourself. You need to, you know, decide that this is where I can no longer allow this to happen. Right. And I really appreciate the part where he says all else being equal when there's a fight, the side that laments having to fight wins in the end. Yeah. There's a lot of that in, in the Tao Te Ching where he says at another place, when you go into war, go as if you're at a funeral. Yeah. Don't go as if you're going to celebrate. Mm-hmm. If you think of a battle as fun party time, then you are misguided and you're probably not fighting the right kind of cause. Well, yeah. and that's the other thing when you, you know, when you're engaged in the fight, if you if you are coming at it and, and you're not regretful that there is this fight, I don't think you're going to be happy at the end, even if you do technically win and conquer the person, right? It doesn't yeah. end with that. There's something else that you're either running from or for or whatever that is going to keep getting at you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're just going to feel worse for all the people you took down in the meantime, I think. Yeah. Um, especially, like, you know, it's the, it's the unfortunate thing that you need to do sometimes, but it's not something you, you know, you, you want to be a part of. It's not something you're trying to be and create this chaos or this system. And, and anyway. Rand, remember friends that, you know, if you didn't join us last time, you can just play along with us now. We're looking at ways in which we're asking how we can look at wisdom from the past to help us figure out when we should speak up, when we should engage people in our lives through relationships, when we should take legal action, all those sorts of things, mm-hmm. um, you know, is really very moving. I don't know if, uh, you know, listener, you've had the chance to, to, to follow this, but there was a very powerful uh, interview with Andrew Yang's wife. Fuck. What's her name? Can you pause? I'm just going to leave, I'll leave that out. I'm going to leave that out because it's, a, it's a, okay. whatever. So, but, um, so, you know, sometimes it's legal action. Sometimes it's, you know, raising a concern at a church or another religious group. But the thing is, friends, um, remember, we, we said last time, when in doubt, you should speak up. If you're asking the question, should I engage, and it's a matter of, of someone's safety, mm-hmm. someone's emotional, mental well-being, you know, in, in, a, in a very... Always. Yeah, yeah. always just be, be active, don't... Don't be sorry about that. Right. What we're talking about are those moments when you're not sure exactly, you know, how to engage and when to engage. So if it's really a question, make sure it's, you know, really a question. But there's another text that we don't have time to get into, but it's Sun Tzu, Art of War. Mm-hmm. So Sun Tzu's The Art of War has been very popular for business people and, and leaders applying these theories of warfare from this ancient classic from China to not killing people, but engaging people. You know, if you're into poker, mm-hmm. maybe read Art of War. When you're, when you're thinking about how you can apply some of the same 
kind of wisdom and, 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 and smarts to, uh, to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sun Tzu's got a lot to, to say. But one of the things he says about war, I thought you know, I th- it was really appropriate for this as well. And he says, it's always better to take whole. Instead of decimating an army, instead of destroying the whole army, right. if you can turn that army into your army, if you can get them to join your side, that's going to be the best thing. And we talked a lot on the last episode about Matthew 18 and how that's used negatively to hurt people sometimes, saying, hey, don't question this religious leader. You're supposed to go to them you know, privately. No, we said don't do that. But there is something interesting about Matthew 18 where he said, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. In other words, you have gained a brother or sister if you can reconcile, if you can be honest. And, and, and I think that's really important, but that's like the Sun Tzu. Yeah, and we talked about that last week. Yeah, one of the things about the Game of Thrones ending that, that came up was how it was so sad at the end, how everything got destroyed. And I felt that that was a, a change in the character that I lamented mm-hmm. very deeply because I realized... You're thinking of one particular case. Right. If you haven't seen it, she's not spoiling it for you. Uh, the whole universe doesn't get destroyed. Mm-hmm. Okay? But there is a moment of just obliteration. Right. And to me, there was something else at that um, guiding or leading this person to act this way, you know, that it no longer was about the honest battle, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. Or what needs to happen. It became a, sort of an emotional one mm-hmm. of just this anger rage. or hatred or rage or whatever. That and it was just the breakdown of everything. Control. Yes. That. So that's the opposite of what you want to be doing when you're contemplating war. Right. And right. the other, the other thing too that came to mind is, you know, when we talked about, you know, wouldn't doubt speak up was that I think a lot of times these decisions are easy to make, but very difficult to execute. You kind of know, when you know something, the right thing, you know, when you know it, yeah. you really, it's not that hard of a decision of whether you need to act or not. You know, you want that confidence that, you know, something really needs to be done, but it might be the hardest thing you have to do. Yeah. And it might, you know, it might bring, you know, some hurt hurt things. It might be hard for you. You might lose things, you know, you might lose relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting because I think often the right thing usually presents itself pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. The right thing is often obvious and almost impossible to pull off. Exactly. <laughs> How many times have we met somebody who we say, you know, you really shouldn't be in that relationship. And they say, yeah, I know. Or we say, you should really leave that job. And they say, I know. And then they're in that relationship or that job for a couple years. Or, you know, you're kind of in a weird cult. Yes, I know. I know. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know? know, so it's one of right. those things where deep down inside, if you're honest with yourself, you kind of know. Mm-hmm. But those forces that hold you back, it's so hard. they're very difficult. So let's transition then right into the, the meat of this. And that is the just war theory that comes out of the Western tradition. And the, the criteria here that I'm going to talk about do come from a, a Council of Bishops document, but you can see this in, in the history of the West. Just war theory, I should point out, has uh, a long tradition, but it doesn't go all the way back to the beginning of Christian theological conversations. Up until the time of Constantine, no one in Christianity was really anything but a pacifist. There's nothing but pacifism. The idea that martyrs would 
would use that opportunity of nonviolence to demonstrate the profound power of their teaching was what everybody knew about. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the thing. When, when women who are in their 20s are getting thrown to wild beasts and they're doing so without really protesting, I mean, they, they're, they're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not backing down. Mm-hmm. That was very powerful for the rest of the world to see a different way. So why do you think it changed? It changed because when you get to Constantine, who legalizes Christianity in the empire, and then, of course, right after that, Christianity becomes the official religion of the empire, well, then you've got a problem, if you're a bishop or a Christian, because you've, you've grown up in this world that assumed that the state was, was the one that you had to worry about. They were the ones that we're going to be giving you trouble. Mm. And it'd be like saying, you know, in the, in the Star Wars universe, a Christian can't be a stormtrooper. That's just, that's just not possible. It doesn't make sense because you'd be working for the dark side, right? right? right. Now, that changed as the, the, the universe expanded and the, you, you had more episodes of Star Wars. Sometimes we find that stormtroopers get stolen, mm-hmm. and kidnapped, and forced into it. Sometimes the stormtroopers are clones, and they're neither here nor there in terms of their moral agency. I mean, so that, that changed it. But if you think back to the original three, you know, uh, A New Hope, mm-hmm. for instance, if you're in that first one with Luke Skywalker. There was the rebellion, and then yeah. there were the, the stormtroopers, yeah. right? Like, and then there's good Luke, guys and bad guys. Luke and Han dressed up like stormtroopers. Okay, there's that. <laughs> but the idea, though, that, yeah, that, uh, that you could fight in... in you're going to be fighting usually against goodness, truth, and beauty in their minds. That there's, there's the beast. There's Rome. Mm. Why would you fight for Rome? Now, this becomes really problematic. And the other thing that's important to know about just war theory is that even people who, who care about it and think it's important would say, look, you know, um, this doesn't usually work. Mm. And I was reflecting, you know, this week... I'm, I'm teaching a, an upper division ethics class, and we're going to be looking at just war theory. And I'm also watching in the news th- this situation where we're on the brink of war with Iran. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I don't think anybody is asking about just war theory. It's, it's, it just becomes emotional. It's, well, it's just side, if it's your side or not. Right. And who's in, who's in charge is going to do, you know, do whatever they do. And it, right. it almost made me mad because I saw that even, you know, I had some students in the past that were in these classes. And the way they were responding to whether or not certain military actions should be taken bore no resemblance to the conversations we had in class. Right. So then you it was all partisan. It's yeah. futile, right? Yeah. And I think that's, but that's not just now. The, the problem has been that that just war theory is never really applied, even when people teach it in the colleges and, and, and they know about it, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also this idea that there are no just wars. There's mm. just tragic wars. Yeah. So why do you even talk about it? Well, the reason that ethicists have talked about it is because you have to do something to try to have a language for speaking to power and saying, okay, I wish you wouldn't invade altogether. Right. But if you invade, Here's some guidelines. look out for civilians, you know? Don't use mustard gas, right. you know? There's a way in which we can all understand that some things in war are just beyond the pale, okay? Yes. And the Geneva Convention, for instance, you know, there, there have been ways in which nations have gotten together and say, said, we're not going to fight in these overly cruel ways. Right. Okay? So that's what this is about. And once you cross that line, then you've made right. the rest of the world your enemy. So again, just war, just war theory is about 
this idea that we're going to try to slow down the march to war, and then once we're in war, we're going to do it as ethically as possible. Now, we're going to apply this to the battles we face with, with people in, in our lives. And at the end of this episode, remember, friends, we're going to answer the question whether Jeff <laughs> is supposed to, and Stacy's going to answer it for me, and I'm going to answer whether I will, by going through this, we're going to answer whether or not Jeff should take on a, a guy online, uh, Bikram Chowdhury, who, who had a silly argument for why he should be trusted. And really the question is, do I leave well enough alone or should I engage? Right? right. Okay. And the first set of criteria here for just war theory uh, are related to what's called use ad bellum. That is being righteous as you're leading up to war. Bellum is, is the word for in Latin war. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as you're going to war, these are the considerations. Number one. So number one is just cause. So are you in the right now? I would say any argument or battle, usually you're somehow you are thinking you're in the right or you wouldn't be starting out in the first place. So you can't gloss over this too quickly. You really have you to make really sure. You really have to dive down deep and say, am I in the right? And that's not to say, do I have a natural response this way or do people like me in these situations normally act angry or, or, or flail. Mm-hmm. That's not the question. The question is, am I right? And we've been wrong a lot in the world, mm-hmm. right? You've had people who fought holy wars that turned out to be very unholy. You know, you reconsider the crusades, right? reconsider a spat you had with your sister. I mean, this mm-hmm. happens all the time. One example that really stands out to me, I remember back in the eighties, my mom, I was at the grocery store with her and she got word from our church to, that we need to ban Procter & Gamble. And so mm-hmm. we literally had to go through and find new products to buy. And everything we're looking at, like, is, is our Crest toothpaste, dang, we got to find, you know, a different one. And, and so, and all it, because they make a whole lot of things. And so, oh, yeah. but the, I guess the, there was some sort of rumor that they were supporting, they were satanic or supporting a satanic group or something mm-hmm. like that. And so it just became this big scare throughout evangelical Christianity. Yeah, it was totally bogus. And and it was all made up. Yeah. And it, you know, we the internet wasn't, you know, prevalent at that time, right? We I'm didn't not have sure the computers it would help. We stuff. didn't have Snopes. <laughs> we needed Snopes. But uh, yeah, it, it, and somehow it just got passed around and taken at its word. And it's interesting. So you really need to look into some of these things before, especially you go and destroy a whole business or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or somebody. Uh, whether or not you have all the right facts. Well, it's almost impossible to pull this off because it's, it really takes a lot of reflection. But it seemed to most evangelicals at the same time, when you're worried about this, I was worried as a child actor trying to do commercials and, and, and doing some casting calls for some films that were coming up. I'm looking at these films and I get worried, oh no, this one's associated with Universal Pictures. Mm. Well, we weren't, we weren't supposed to support Universal because they had put out The Last Temptation of Christ. And of course, any good Christian knows that The Last Temptation of Christ is a terrible, terrible thing. I remember this. I mean, what on earth were the religious (laughs) leaders thinking? Because then later on, I went back and I watched that and I thought, man, this is an amazing, it's one of the most interesting films. I love that film. It's not Orthodox Christianity. It's not historical Jesus. But it's really compelling thought experiment. Mm-hmm. So why Christians were trying to shut that down, man, is is weird. But more importantly, I got out in many ways of my my life in acting as a child 
because I realized I couldn't navigate that world. I didn't want yeah. to t- touch that that unholy thing. And not only was it who the studios were, but then also what was the content of the movie themselves it, itself and your role in it, right? And right. whether you wanted to support that. Oh, that's so a side it- issue. Yeah, I was saying, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to be... I, 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 uh, I dropped out of the running and I had made a ways... Uh, I'd made it a ways in for It by Stephen King. <laughs> And I mean, I, that's when, I could, you're, when you dropped out of that, that's when your, your agent dropped you, right? Yeah, it was I was like, at, well, it was in summer, you, summer camp. Remember I, my dad picked me up for, the, interview, or for the, for the audition. You left our, camp. you left our camp. Well, at that summer camp, man, we're not even supposed to listen to non-Christian music, mm-hmm. let alone, but I, so I made this vow at summer camp, you know, everybody else was, was giving their hearts to Jesus, but I was already a believer. So sometimes you go up and you do like a rededication or something mm-hmm. to the, at the altar call. So I went up. I had this rededication where I said, I am not going to do anything that's, that's kind of sexual or demonic. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that, that leaves out, I'm not doing horror, right? right. You can't be picky like that, friends, <laughs> in the 1980s. Well, and expect and, your agent to no, loving, no, no, sending you out. Send you out. Number two is comparative justice. So are you overreacting? That's the main one. Now, sometimes people are going to say, hey, you're overreacting. Don't worry. Let boys be boys. Or that's just Bill, you know? Mm-hmm. Or that's just Sally, you know? And, and people kind of shrug it off. That's not what this is about. This is about just kind of a- asking whether you're being measured about something. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is also where, you know, I think it's important that we mention that you when you when you are if you are really going to fight it's not a, it's not the time to just maim your enemy because then they get a little bruised up and then mm. they just they basically regroup and come mm. at you even stronger and yeah. harder and with more force if you if if you need to get engaged with this it needs to end whatever the whatever was worth you going to war for mm-hmm. needs to stop yeah completely yeah you know there might be times when you're just trying to send a signal but for the most part in war or in life, you need to be swift, purposeful, and effective. You can't just, you know, you can't just half measure it. And Jesus talks about this. We'll, we'll have another future uh, chapter where we talk about Jesus saying, count the cost. What he, what he says is if you're going to go to war, you got to understand what, what's the stakes, mm-hmm. and, and you got to be prepared to full, fully follow through. And again, Jesus isn't talking about war as a, as a no. live option, but he's saying that's the illustration for following him. And that will be one of our future Protect yep. Your Noggin with Jesus chapters. But also, this is a thing where, Stacy, you and I had a little bit of a disagreement as we were preparing this, because I kept saying that if you're going to fight, you need to fight to win. And, and you were saying, it's not about winning. And you're right. It's not about winning. And that's why I'm saying it is about stopping the offense or whatever the the problem. terrible thing is, the yeah. problem is that got you there in the first place. So, and again, it's, it's I was reminded of the Lao Tzu thing where you lament going in there. Right. So it's not, I guess what I'm saying is, is like, we're not trying to be winners or say, ha ha, I win. I win. But if there's a war, you're either going to win or lose the war. So to that extent, yes, go in to win. Yeah. Yeah. Number three, number three is competent authority. Now this applies mainly to governments. You know, it's the question that people have been asking. Do they, yeah. Do they have the right to make the calls that they're doing and, is that not where this comes mm-hmm. in? When does a when does a, a commander in chief? When does a president have the right to take us into an armed action? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean for us to declare war? This question isn't as relevant as it used to be because in the old days, wars were formally declared. You get your army, and it's one nation against another nation. Mm-hmm. 
now we've got the war on drugs, the war on terror. It's, it's, it's not as easy. Mm-hmm. And very few wars are actually declared lately. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you've got these armed conflicts that are yeah. military actions. They're, they're going to be approved in our case by Congress. But the, the declaration of war is, is a kind of old timey sort of thing. In the religious setting. Yeah. What's important to think of, or just as for yourself, is that you need to assume the authority of your over your own life and mind, right? And mm. you absolutely have the permission to walk away from anything that is harmful to you. It could be bad relationships, it could be bad groups, whatever. So you do have that authority. Yeah, when it's when yeah, that's right. So in a nation, we have to ask, well, are you are you, are you allowed are you to do that? Is, yeah. this, is this the right thing? If somebody's harming you, you have the responsibility for yourself. Yes. And you have the authority for yourself to say, I'm, I'm now going to act. You don't right. have to ask somebody else's permission whether you can raise a complaint. Right. You have to ask yourself whether it's the right thing to do. But you're also not going to go out seeking it, like being a, the private investigator or trying to right. <laughs> try to see, like, is this person doing something wrong? Do I need yeah. to, you know, do I need to call them up on it, you know? And you do need to be careful about legal liability, um, especially when you're dealing with, with religious wolves, mm. you know, uh, you you might be a private investigator. I mean, you know, there's going to be situations where you think maybe you're the only person to, to do this, but you've got to be very careful. Um, hiring and firing is tricky business, even if you fire somebody who did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I known this from the past where there's people, it's it's hard. you got to work through HR. Um, yeah, there's re- pr- protocols, right? Protocols. Where you have to give warnings and things like that mm-hmm. unless it's an immediate... Uh, a firing offense or something like that. There's right. <laughs> right. So for instance, for instance, if you said, you know, Hey, um, if you're a church administrator and there's, uh, there's a staff member who said something sexist, you might not be legally permitted to just immediately terminate them. Right. There, there, there's a process, right? So you want to follow the process. You also want to be very careful about doing things like writing emails and, and threatening yeah. the clergy person, say... Well, that, and that's a maiming situation, Right. Oh, well, definitely that. But I mean, but we'll, even if you intimidated them, right? right. So if you, were, if you were writing an email to them and you were trying to intimidate them or threaten them or say, I'm going to do this if I don't get money, you I could see. be... That's not blackmail. You could, you or... could, right. If, if you accidentally look like you're blackmailing somebody, that's, that's going to be painful for you uh, legally. And also, if you record somebody without their knowledge... Yeah, then it's not permissible. Depending on the state... You know, so state laws. So you've got to be smart and be very careful. So, so that criterion here is important for asking those those legal questions. But if it's just a matter of should I tell my sister that I don't want her to do this anymore? Yeah. Then the answer is you have the right to do that. <laughs> you know, you have the question is is just one of wisdom. But you have the right over your own life. Right. Number four is right intention. So. Are the reasons that you're stating or that, you know, that you're giving for going to this war, are those actually the real reason? Mm. You can, maybe those are the ones you can justify, but that's not actually the real reason you're going. Maybe there's a hidden agenda that you have inside of you that mm-hmm. you're not, you know, so that the, on the surface, it could, you could look like it's the right, you know, you're doing the right thing. You've got the just cause, mm-hmm. right? But you also have to do some soul searching to make sure that that is the real reason that you're going at mm-hmm. this. And this is a tricky one because most likely you have a fine motivation because, and this is the reason why I think this is true, most people don't want to have the conflict. Most people don't want to go up against a religious leader that's powerful. Mm-hmm. They don't want the attention. If it's a legal matter, they don't want the scrutiny of a trial. Mm-hmm. Okay, So usually I think people go in with the right intentions. But uh, 
you also have to be very clear with yourself about what those intentions are because people are going to ask. Mm -hmm. And if, friend, you've been harmed in a way that's totally unjust, I am sorry. Right. And I'm sorry to have to tell you that, that the fact is that if you raise a complaint, it's very likely people are going to ask, are you just jealous? Mm -hmm. Are you being petty? Well, are you, you know... Well, and I think that emotions coming into play here is what mm -hmm. you have to be careful of. Separate your emotions there. from the, the actual reason why you're doing this if you can. You, know, mm -hmm. you, you need to try to do that because if it is just emotional, mm -hmm. you're probably going to make mistakes along the way as well. Mm-hmm. And, and don't let people get you down when they do the, the inevitable. If, if there's somebody who has a, d a defense attorney and they've done something wrong, they're going to, they're going to challenge you and mm -hmm. the credibility of your accusation. But, uh, you get, you know, expect that, but also let it fall off of your back like a, you know, duck with water, you know, sprinkling on the back. Mm -hmm. But also it's important to not actually have an enemy and then try to catch them at something mm -hmm. that now maybe that's your tactic that you're going to have to do. But if it looks like what you're doing is you already have a grudge against somebody and you're waiting to find something that they did wrong, right. or maybe, maybe you don't like Jeff and Stacy. So you're just listening to all our <laughs> podcasts. So I say one wrong thing that you can, then, you know, you can tell my boss about or something. That's, you know, I think that's a little bit, it's a different sort of thing. And it is one of the things that people are wondering about, when they're questioning the actions of, of Donald Trump when he took out a, an Iranian general. Right. And that is, did he just have that in, in his magazine, right? Like, in other words... Well, and I think there's no question that there was, he, was a, he was a bad guy. Yeah, right. Right. So, like, you know, you might say, well, we know that this person's bad, but are you, are you waiting for a strategic time to use it? Mm -hmm. uh, to, to use this evidence purpose. for so your, your own purpose. Game. That's going to be a problem both ethically and strategically and, and tactically. Um, for instance, there was a friend of mine who um, ended up finding out information, um, and I didn't know about any of this at the time, but he found out information about a, um, a, a religious staff member at a university, mm -hmm. and he found out that this person had, had acted inappropriately sexually with a student. Okay, And he reported it too late mm. and he ended up leaving the institution. Okay. And I don't know exactly why he did what he did. I, I, I haven't asked him, but he, he was generally a, a decent guy and he wanted the right thing done. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that Sometimes. he also had a grudge against this other staff member ideologically. Mm. So, so it came out in a heated moment. No, you've got to say, if there's evidence that something bad is happening, you act at that moment. And it's precise. Yeah. You might have all sorts of other reasons why you don't like that person, but it's going to look a lot better on your, your side of things if you're acting in immediate response, you know, within reason, mm -hmm. to something that somebody um, is doing at that moment or when it's come to your attention. Especially when it's not you. And uh, if something's happened to you, it's going to take you a while to kind of get the courage up to, to address it. But if you're somebody in a leadership position and you're, you know, you're saying, oh, there's somebody else doing something wrong. I've got to step in. You step in quickly. You can't, you right. can't wait. I also find it really troubling. Like I think sometimes, I don't know, even if, like, if you're in close relationships with other people mm -hmm. and they confide in you in certain things. Right. And then like now you know some of their deepest, darkest secrets. And then all of a sudden you have a falling out and then you go and pile in 
all these things that you knew yeah. that they disclosed to you into the whole mess of it. And that yeah. is just tragic. It is right. so sad because it also, it makes the person not be able or willing to trust mm-hmm. people in the mm-hmm. future. And it's just like, if there was that confidence there in the beginning and, 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 and being able to trust that person, mm-hmm. you have just like annihilated that yeah. trust. One of the hardest things that I think I have ever dealt with in the religious world is that I had, I, I'm not sure about this, but I was told by a reliable source that there was a pastor that had been keeping a file yeah. on, on me and others related to things that we had done on, you know, podcasts or, or, or in writing and so forth. And instead of trying to do what, what I normally thought that pastors and priests did, which is to kind of take sins and throw them, no, throw them as far away as the East, collecting and, them, I mean, who, but, but never, never confronted me about these things, but had these things in a file in case ever, if it was ever needed, needed, yeah, yeah, needed to, just, to, to nuke me. That's terrible. And, uh, yeah. And so that's not, that's not the way to go. Number five. Number five is the probability of success. This one is almost exclusively a military question because the idea in the tradition is you shouldn't ask people to fight and die for a lost cause. You might want to fight a lost cause in a metaphorical sense. To me, sometimes just somebody giving a crud is beautiful. Which is why I think that it's very important in this section to to wrestle through how do you f- define success? Because right. success isn't necessarily coming out alive. I mean, you might even be a martyr in the situation. Right. You know, right. there might be a, a, a cause worth even losing your own life for. Right. Because the injustice is so great. Right. And if if even just as a witness, if it was just that, yeah, that that these people came and saw that somebody else cared and tried to do something, mm-hmm. even though you knew yourself was you know it was going to be a lost cause in a mm-hmm. certain level. Even that, even that can give them a little level of hope, mm-hmm. you know? And I would say the other thing here, um, I'm thinking back to chapter 69 when it says that how Lao Tzu, he went to the eye. I underestimated somebody and it nearly yeah. cost everything I hold dear. Yeah. And so I think it's it's important in this section, what you're thinking of is, am I going to just go ahead and give them that foot? Because mm-hmm. maybe it's totally unjust that they're taking right. that foot, but right. maybe this time right. it's not so, tra- it's not traumatic right. or whatever. And I can deal without that foot of land. Right. Yeah. But you really have to make that call. So how do you define mm. success? And you want to fight to win. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't not really again, count the cost in a mm. way, you know, you, you have to know what you're going in for and then keep going until you either, you know, fulfill that mission or, or mm. walk, you know, or you're, you're done, I guess, you know? We need to be very sensitive to the, the, the unique situations that people are in and the fact that it's, it's not like because somebody harmed you, now you've got this responsibility to carry this huge burden that, that other people can't right. carry. And again, that's the, you are in charge of yourself. Right. What do you want your life to be about? What kind of, you know, what is your life's purpose? And what, and is, what success? is meaning? And, yep. and, and what is, yeah, and what is success? So if for you, being able to overcome this situation and go on to live a life offering meaning in this other way without mm. this other thing getting in the way or tying, you know, holding you back mm-hmm. is would be an important thing for certain people, right? Mm-hmm. Other people, they need to devote their lives to help stop this because that's right. what they feel that their life meaning is. Right. Well, so where, where is that meaning for you? Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to decide. Mm-hmm. So one illustration that kind of came up fairly recently was 
with the whole Kavanaugh thing. And when Christine Blasey Ford had to come forward or chose to come forward with her testimony. Mm-hmm. Now, would she be successful? I think she realized that it was going to be a very difficult thing for her to go through yeah. and her family. And, and, and it was going to seriously disrupt her life. I want to pause real fast for, for those of you who think we're getting political. I really liked some of the insights of, of Ram Das, mm-hmm. And I had to deal with the reality that there are some things I just have to say no to. Most people agreed. It was really weird. Most people like on the Republican side agreed like, well, we're not saying she's a liar. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. But we also all knew that she wasn't probably going to win. Like she wasn't going to be successful in having Kavanaugh not make it to the Supreme court. I will tell you, I was sitting next to a 70 year old um, Republican lady on a plane and we were watching CNN as we were taken off in an airplane as this was going on. And we were, we were just together watching and commenting on the, on the case. Mm-hmm. And she was shaking and just, just overwhelmed with having to watch what was going on. And uh, she, in her case had been, um, Asked, it was all had nothing really bad happened. She said it was just she had been asked um, if she would like to have sex with the whole basketball team, and uh, the the proposition was very upsetting to her. Mm-hmm. Okay, what was upsetting to her was the idea that she thought that they thought that that was something that she might say yes to, hmm. right? Like, so why would you? Yeah, why is that something what that she would yeah. want to do? And so she felt like for a lot of her life, like she was a terrible person. Just for being asked, not, let alone anything forcibly happening. Right. But so she said, here's this woman who, assuming that she's telling the truth, has to come forward and not only deal with that, like, am I the kind of person that would invite this? She also has to deal with not being believed and then being attacked by people for attacking somebody that they want to see promoted. All right. right. We assume that she's telling the truth and we assume that she knows that this isn't going to be very... Um, successful in in the direct right. terms. But right? how in good conscience would she feel moving forward if he were elected into the Supreme Court without anybody ever knowing that this right. was something in his past? So she was brave mm-hmm. and she acted, again, assuming that she's telling the truth, but her success was not identical with the success of the hearings. What she was doing was she was taking the long view. What is this doing for other women mm-hmm. that might be in similar situations? Is she going to inspire them to not put up with nonsense? Right. Is she going to confront rape culture in America? Is she going to confront the booze culture coupled with the rape culture in, in private high schools? These are things that I think not everybody realized. What I mean by that is I didn't grow up with rich kids in private schools. Okay, like right. in, in those in that world and the East Coast and, and all that. And, you know, it's interesting how, it's, but it is true as I look back at it, you go, wait a minute, there's all these people that are Christian, all these Christian families, and they're telling us that, that you know, drinking's bad, breaking the law's bad, and sex is bad. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much what they expected, you know, kids to do. Well, and, right? In college and, and high got, school. And when you got to college, some of the worst 
kids were the pastor's kids. Well, that's right? definitely so true. When they, when they broke free yeah. from their families. That was true for me as an undergraduate. That, you, know, you know, that was just your experience. So first, I'm not saying that that yeah, happens to everybody. The kids that corrupted me on, on like some of the, the things we weren't supposed to do in, uh, in the undergraduate world, mm-hmm. they were the... I went to a Christian university... And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be like going to like a monastery. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, this this look crazier than I expected, you know. And you know, yeah. and it wasn't like anything too bad, other than just we were. Uh, there was one time when we were driving um, in a in a clay mine with open bottles of booze, and we were throwing the bottles after we drank them, and, and would shoot them in the back of pickup trucks as we were just driving around in a clay mine off roading. One of the nice things about that story, though, uh, at least as far as me not getting in too much trouble was we were driving out of our uh, shenanigans and uh, you know, the, the guns were warm, the, the beer bottles were, were cold and, uh, and so forth. And uh, then a, then a cop pulled us over and he said, okay, well uh, drinking, now, I wasn't doing a lot of drinking at the time. I, I was new to the scene. Mm-hmm, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. This was, uh, it wasn't my scene, but I was, you know, I was trying to fit in with the other Christian kids. <laughs> and, um, but the guy said, well, okay, we've got uh, underage drinking. Uh, this firearm is not to be owned by someone under 21. Da, da, da. Uh, you're driving on private property and all this. But then the dude who was driving handed the cop his driver's license, and he was from Wyoming. And so the cop said, oh, you're, fr- you're from Wyoming. Oh, yeah, we don't do that here <laughs> yeah. in Colorado. You just run, just run learn, along. <laughs> learn about the Colorado rules, but, you know, just don't do that okay. anymore. You're good. Well, You the, get a pass. But the thing is, is that... I thought was a unique situation, you know, and I'm laughing about it because it like nothing really bad happened in our situation, but I didn't realize that in many ways, that's kind of how the wink wink culture is around the country in different spots. Right. So what do we do about that? Mm -hmm. In an individual sense, it's sometimes hard to, to fight against, um, the system when everybody's intertwined or there was one time when I was in a, in a small town as a young professor and I raised a complaint about somebody in town Mm -hmm. and that complaint I sent to the police and the police, the sheriff was the brother of the pastor. They were all, you know what I'm saying? So, so in that case, no, honestly, in that case, I'd say sometimes if you're in a small town, when the KKK is tied in with the cops and then the you know mm-hmm. business people and the pastors, you might want to slowly back out the door. You might not necessarily want to engage that for your own safety. Right. That's. I think that's what the probability of success is really about. Are you able to do this and remain as safe as you need to be? Right. That's the Don't key question. Don't be naive. Right. All right. The next. The uh, the next one. Sorry. Number six is the last resort. Mm-hmm. So. Of course, you know, like that's, I mean, that to me is common sense. War should be the last resort. You should have tried everything else, right, right, before you engage. But that's in real war, right? So again, if it's a matter of safety, you act immediately. You leave your situation. You, you call the authorities. Yeah. Uh, again, the police are sometimes your first resort. Again, maybe double check if the sheriff's the relative of the guy you're ratting out, but. Um, but that, that, that's one way of thinking about it. But if it's, you know, nonviolent or not mm-hmm. dangerous stuff, that kind of thing, you want to make sure that you've tried all other options, right? That mm-hmm. you've you really thought through this and this is, this is the only way to end this. Start with kindness. Start right. with love. See if you can't do it. So many times in our lives, we have thought we were up against somebody who was not ever going to back down. And we have shown love 
and we just threw love at them and we doused the fire. Yeah. It doesn't always happen, but we have seen in the last year three miracles of people who were hostile, bad, and we threw love at them. And it was gen- it has to be genuine love. Yes. You can't say, you can't be patronizing. <laughs> I right? love you. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. It can't be patronizing. It has to be, and you have to mean it. And I just heard somebody saying today, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And that's, you know, not to say that hurt people always are going <laughs> to hurt people, but I'm saying, but when somebody is hurting somebody else, often they have been hurt. So is there compassion that could be gained by looking at their life and their circumstances and figure out how and why do they get there? Now, that doesn't excuse bad behavior. No, it's not a but justification. It, but it does help to at least understand where they're coming from and maybe being able to formalize a different approach that can actually get at healing those those hurts mm-hmm. rather than making it worse. Yeah. So now we have a little little practice example. Good shot. <laughs> so if you have a pastor who's otherwise like he's he's not a bad sort, but he hasn't doesn't have like this like a, a misogynistic agenda or something. He's right? not an overt sexist. Right. There, there are some of those pastors where you're going. Here's another example of this guy who's you know trying to almost troll people with how sexist he can be. Okay. You know, and then that's he, not what we're talking he, about. We're just he, talking about a regular, nice pastor, Pastor Bill. Pastor Bill, nice guy, gets up there. He, doesn't, he hasn't been to college in a while. He doesn't know about political sensitive speech, you know. But he inadvertently is speaking in ways that is just reinforcing these negative stereotypes towards, say, sort of towards women, okay? Right. So, if that's the case, A, write a kind but direct letter explaining how some of his attempts at humor or sermon illustrations strike you as problematic, okay? Okay. Or B, write a hit piece on your blog and tweet, send it out there for everybody to read. Or C, you just leave the church and say nothing. Okay, let me back into it. B, do you write the hit piece? Um, Probably not, because that, I think, normally is you're just trying to get, you know, followers or or trying to make yourself look good by catching somebody else. I, I, I find that aesthetically problematic. Right. My disposition is... Most likely, C, leave the church and say nothing. That's it would be easiest. That's the easiest thing. That's the path of least resistance. That's usually what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I just kind of slink out. But I think the, the most ethical and, and appropriate thing to do based on this, this last resort criterion would be, yeah, write a direct letter. Not one that's trying to be self-righteous, but just saying... Be kind. Yeah. Hey, buddy, do you realize this is, what this this is what's is going on? To me. This is how my daughter receives this. Mm-hmm. I, I remember um, one of my, one of the things I, I used to do, you know, uh, our friends, John and Val Lu, they've got this daughter that's just the cutest thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, our friends, uh, uh, Adam and Rachel Francisco have a, a daughter. They're just the cutest thing. Okay. I mean, they've got multiple cute daughters, but at the time they were at that age where, you know, they're just cute. Right. Mm-hmm. And I would say, Oh, are you, you're the cutest of all cutes in the cute kingdom and in, in cutesville or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, just, just and then, uh, it was John who said, you know, uh, I don't want to raise my daughter to think that her worth is, her is in her appearance. Yeah. And I said, oh, crud, that's really, of course that's right. Right. I just, I'm just, it's yeah. hard to know how to talk to people's <laughs> kids. Like, there's, there's a whole art to that. You should go Google it. There's a, a way that, you don't know what right. to say. What I like to say now, when I'm hanging out, say, with the, the Copeland's kids, I say, the, 
what do you like about this painting you made? Yeah, or, you right. know, you're inviting them is, to be people. Right. right. So by, and it's so easy just to comment on something they're wearing or the way their hair looks or, right. or something like that. But then that's just like reinforcing this. Like that's my, yeah, my yeah. worth is in what I look like. I know it's hard. Like my, I was saying that, so we, we, I think we got it right with the Copeland kids, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, you know, Scott, almost seven feet tall and, you know, haven't been his friend since I was five years old. As we travel around, Scott is more of an introvert. He's not necessarily interested in you commenting on him at all when we're walking down the street, Mm -hmm. right? But all our lives, I've noticed how uncomfortable it is. Just if I'm on my daily walk, I just do my thing. But if I'm walking with, with my friend Scott, people are People say, hey, buddy, do you play basketball? Or we were one time at a hospital visiting somebody who was dying, mm-hmm. and the nurse said, fee, fi, fo, fum. I mean, like, I remember whoa. That. Yeah. Now, people don't realize because they think, well, I wish I, most of the people wish they were tall. Right. So, so they don't they think, think of it as being offensive to him. So the point is, friends, if somebody comes to you and says, I am uncomfortable with these things you're saying. If you're a pastor listening to this, friends, and you think that people are being nitpicky or overly sensitive when they say, you know, the way you're talking has this negative effect. Um, Well, maybe they are, but most likely what you should do is ask if you can understand what it is that they're saying and you can see this thing from their perspective, is there a way for you to modify the way you're talking? Right. So you can be sensitive to it. That's not being weak. No. That's being loving. If you're a pastor, right, you're not that's trying kind of what you're supposed to do. You don't want them to stop hearing what you're saying right. because you've stepped on this accidental little landmine thing that all of a sudden then now they can't pay attention to the real message. Saint Paul would have said the same thing. He's saying, Listen, don't let don't let your desire to fight the the culture wars or political correctness or something even get in the way of the message. Right. I mean a lot of conservative pastors that I know that are that are in my orbit, they are also very, very strongly leaning right culturally, right? Mm-hmm. So they get angry if they get angry about environmentalism, they get angry about being too sensitive uh, to, to misogyny and so forth. Maybe, maybe the culture's gone that way. But if you're a clergy person, okay, and you and you are going to make that your battle, and if that battle is going to be a more important battle than getting people to understand a new logic of grace and forgiveness and healing. Um, so again, with this, with this whole thing, part of it is, are you acting, do you really want to see real change happening or do you want to be right? right. And I think that that's the whole point. When you write the kind letter, it's just to change the behavior. It's not to right. defame the person in this case, say, because, you know, it didn't, it wasn't, it was an uncomfortable thing, not a traumatic thing that he was doing or this person was doing, right? Right. Number seven. Number seven is proportionality. So you're asking whether the potential gains from the war are comparable to the inevitable losses that you're going to incur. This is on the side of the whistleblower. So yes. your, your, your main goal, if you're looking at this thing proportionally, it might sometimes be said to you that there's a, the, well, this pastor's career, for instance, is, that's, a, that's a big thing and you don't want to have them lose their career. Or you might say, we might lose the reputation of this church if we speak out. That's not what we're talking about right. here. <laughs> right. Well, if, and think about with the Catholics, right? Mm-hmm. The long-term cost of them, you know, not wanting to confront what was happening, it mm-hmm. just made everything get worse. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you know, be concerned about the person's career versus like what 
this growing epidemic essentially of mm-hmm. this traumatic terrible behavior mm-hmm. now sometimes you have a, a really good organization that you don't want to hurt by addressing a problem again as stacy's saying you're probably going to hurt them in the long run by not addressing it in the short term right but sometimes you actually do want to shut something down if you think that they need to just stop being and become dismantled then go for it just right. be clear on that's what you're doing if you're if you're part of a cult yeah, maybe people are going to lose their jobs in the fundraising department or, you know, in the, uh, in the reception hall at, you know, the cult headquarters. <laughs> and that's really sad. But sometimes that's exactly what needs to be done. Now we're going to move over to use in bellow. That is, how do you fight rightly in war? So in other words, if you do decide to come to the party, then how do you act while you're in, engaging in this battle? Right. And, you know, what, is, what are some guidelines? And I'll start with number one, distinction. So do be aware of the collateral damage that's going to occur. Yeah. And you shouldn't, that shouldn't stop you from like what you need to do. Right. But you definitely can't not take that into consideration and understand like, you know, what, what is the fallout and minimize that as much as possible. Yeah. Again, don't let it stop you. You know, there have been times when people said, I don't want to speak out against this religious wolf because it'll embarrass the kids, you know, or, um, or again, like the marketing department is going to lose its job or something, you know, they're yeah. all their jobs. No, sometimes if, if, if it rises to the, uh, to the surface that there's been immoral, illegal activity, well, that's just going to be how it has to go. Right. And can, and can you win without totally destroying? But if you're in a divorce, you know, um, watch out for the kids and their well-being. Mm, you know, absolutely. If, um, I think also, though, um, you know, let's say that the senior pastor is kind of a bad guy, right? And maybe... You know, the music director, maybe the music director should have known, right? So then you might say something. But be careful not to just, you know, firebomb the whole thing, uh, right. metaphorically speaking, right? Like, right. it's entirely possible that that, that that music director was working behind the scenes to, to try to rectify things. You, you don't know. Exactly. So be very precise, you know. So number two is proportionality. This is a criterion, again, where you need wisdom, to be to be helping with you, um, proportionality. You know, again, is are you overreacting in the in the fighting of the war? Are you destroying all the libraries? You know, as you're marching through town, um, are you are you indiscriminate in in your in your destruction? That's all that. But the flip side is important too, because you know sometimes people don't deal with the severe problems in their life because they underestimate the damage that can be done in toxic environments, you know, to both individuals and the long-term reputation of a group or, or a person. And sometimes they overestimate the problem of someone being negatively affected, right? Again, you know, the wife of an embezzling pastor might, might indeed get embarrassed, but that's not proportional to the problem of defrauding the poor or people in the developing world, right? right? So usually the proportionality has to do with people underemphasizing how bad it is to live in an abusive, even just a spiritually abusive or emotionally abusive environment. Right. Well, and then and there's an example that I, I see kind of relates that there was somebody that wrote into us thanking us for one of our podcasts and basically said that she had been involved in a situation where the the youth, the youth pastor, the youth director, was engaging in inappropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. So she went to the authorities and, and, you know, and they went to church administration. They eventually, it all, 
eventually got to the point where he lost his job there at the church. Mm-hmm. But then they d- failed to warn the next congregation that he Jeez. went to, and he continued in his destructive behavior yeah. and, and traumatized more people. So yeah. the, sometimes you think, oh, you don't want to ruin his career. Yeah, you're not going to cause trouble. You know, we'll let no, him walk no. away from here. But yep. if, if, that's in, if that's part of who this person is mm-hmm. and that isn't addressed, they're just going to go hurt somebody else in a new town, a new place, a new church. Yeah. And it's important that that can't happen. Yeah. Number three is the military necessity. Obviously, the word military is there, so it's, it's in a very precise way. You know, you're saying that the actions that you've got in combat really need to be aiming at bringing a just end to a conflict. Okay. Now, remember that your job isn't to punish, but to end the madness. That, that kind of needs to be your focus. Now, I know, you know, maybe they deserve to be punished, and maybe it makes you feel good, and, and maybe you're going to get some gratification out of it. Enjoy, right? Maybe you deserve also, a little fun. And also, sometimes... Punishment, short term, it actually does stop the the behavior, right? Right. But it doesn't change the person necessarily inside. It doesn't change who they are. So if if there's not true repentance, Mm -hmm. a whole wake up to the fact that this way of going about life or being in this situation is not okay, if they can't see that, then, then even though they've stopped... Again, the uh, the problems can, will continue because they haven't had a change of heart over it all. We said in a recent show that you don't need to be quick to forgive if that means that you're just kind of ignoring or setting aside something that's, that's happened that's bad. Um, and at the same time, I want to reiterate something that I think is very important to the teachings of Jesus. And I think that whole idea about lamenting war in Lao Tzu, and that is that vengeance is, I think, almost always unhealthy in you, mm. right? So if, if you're getting pleasure out of, you know, stabbing the bad guy 15 times, maybe I understand and I probably would do the same thing, but it's not necessarily something that you want to augment and, and cultivate in your own life. Right, the emotions have taken over. And we've already said, again, punishment and reward, it's just normally not going to be very helpful. So you want to end the madness. <laughs> now, the next one, number four, is fair treatment of prisoners of war. You can understand this in normal combat, right? You want to treat the prisoners of war fairly. How might this kind of apply to the things that we're doing in our you know, engagements with people and, and groups? One of the things I was thinking about how this would apply to engaging people in groups is that sometimes people are caught up taking sides mm-hmm. in, in, in something, and then they're arguably caught up with being on the wrong side. Right. So they, they kind of let some of the details... Or the the reason they are a part of it, like it, they're not really thinking about that, and instead mm. they're just joining the cause. And so those people, it's not the same thing. They're not they don't have like that. I don't know that that evilness or whatever the basis right. of what they're just they just went along. But we're all going to be really angry at them if we see it happening. Yes, right. But I think don't you, Stacy? Right. They're not the type of people that necessarily would be the ones that would have initiated this. Right. And so what you want for that is for it to stop but they don't necessarily need to themselves be destroyed. Yeah. Because they weren't the, the mastermind. They definitely it. you don't need to humiliate them or or give them pain. Maybe what would be a better way instead of trying to like attack people who are complicit. Show I mean, them it's, the light. Show them, you know, help bring them over on your side. For instance, you know, if if your friends are retweeting Babylon B, mm. you know, you don't go and 
bring right. your, your whole... That's a great example. Your whole yeah. problem, you know, your your frustration with Babylon be on them. Right. But you can just, hey, friend, you know, if you want, you can gently, if you get a right conversation, like the right. person that came up to you and asked you, you can explain to them. Right. But you're not mad at this person because right. they happen to like... Something I that wish you my colleagues. I wish my colleagues would stop retweeting Babylon B. But I don't sit there and hate them. And I would. I would hate to think that somebody then says, "Oh no, I've been retweeting Babylon B. Now my friend Jeff must hate me." No, yeah, I right, love you. It's great. Right. You just want, got caught up in the in the, the disaster right, of it all. Right. I I don't hate you. I hate your government. You know, what <laughs> I'm like, like that's what we say when we when we t- deal with you know foreign countries. We say we don't hate the people of that country. Mm-hmm. We just don't like the system. So what you want to do? You want to be firm, you want to educate people, but you don't want to set out to destroy or torture them. Yeah, and I think even, I think the families of the people that, um, if if there is somebody that is causing harm and if they get shunned, Mm -hmm. like the children or whatever, you know, and it was their parents that did the the problem, that's sad. You know, like when friends can't be friends with, you know, with with them anymore because their parents did, you know, something awful, that's just... Yeah. That's not really fair because they're not, it wasn't the kid's fault. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway. Number five. Number five. No means malum and say. That means evil in itself, right? So no means that are inherently evil means. And this is, you know, warring parties should not use weapons or methods that are... Actually evil in themselves. Yeah, like using children as human shields or, you know, launching chemical attacks just to gain some territory, that sort of thing. And and this is one place where I think we want to put our foot down firmly. You know, um, lying, sabotaging, violence, uh, that's not something that you should do even against bad people, right? And I, this is something that comes up a lot. Right where you say this guy is bad, so I'm going to frame him. I'm going to spread lies about this person because it doesn't it doesn't really matter, you know, because <laughs> um, they did something like this. Well, right. no, that's returning evil for evil, mm-hmm. hurting because you were hurt is never a good idea. It's just bad mojo, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, again strategically a, a bad move because if it turns out that you were lying, then it has devastating consequences for the movement oh definitely i mean even even just think of like well okay the boy who cried wolf right when right. he really did need help because he was in the line he's no longer credible right and mm-hmm. and so that it's like you you, you want to make sure that you're not messing up the cause or the situation by you know exaggerating things or whatever mm-hmm. because then it just is now it's an uphill battle even mm-hmm. if you were in the right Mm-hmm. Um, you had good, you know, like there was a reason that this needed to stop, but mm-hmm. then your tactics, it just, it gets all messed up. And then, then you have to overcome that new hill because people aren't going to believe you mm-hmm. the way they would have, or your side, or the person that's next to you that actually is telling the complete mm-hmm. truth. <laughs> you know, um, let's go back to the Christine Blasey Ford thing. You know, one of the, when we, when we think about the, the idea of whether you can win, wh- whether you're going to have success. I sometimes think about baseball. There are often times when a when a manager will argue a call, knowing that the umpire will not overturn that mm-hmm. call, that it's just not going to be overturned. But they argue it so that they get the next close call, right? Mm-hmm. So the same thing is true if Christine Blasey Ford says, okay, I know maybe this particular case I might lose, but if a couple more people come out down the line, then 
she will have started to build a case. Right. We do this in college where we might forgive a student for plagiarizing, but we put their record in the file so that if it turns out that two, three, right. or four times... there's times, a pattern here, then... Well, we don't let it get that far, friends, right. at Concordia <laughs> University. No, thank you, but you know. But um, that's, that's why you do it. You say, okay, we could, we could overlook it once, the cheating, but we want to know... You know, if there's a case, if there's a pattern of behavior that we're starting to see. But the biggest thing is it takes like, I don't know what the numbers would be. I'll say what it feels like. It feels like there have to be like 50 Christine Blasey Fords before anything's kind of moved in a direction that I I think is is corrective, right? Mm -hmm. It takes one lie. It takes one person bringing a false allegation against a public person or a family member, if that comes out, it, it sets the cause back oh, so absolutely. far. And it shouldn't. That's not fair, right? But it does. And uh, this then takes us to the end of our show where before we – it's not the end end because at the very end, we're going to answer the question, what mm-hmm. do we think Alice should do and what do we think Jeff should do on Twitter? But real fast, I do, I do want to mention some, some stuff about uh, false reporting and – some research that we found on this. And this comes from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. You can check out more of that sort of thing at nsvrc.org. Now, the main thing that we found is that the majority of sexual assaults, um, probably, you know, like 63% are never reported to the police. That's something that, um, that we know, that before you even start, this conversation that a lot of bad behavior just doesn't ever get reported. Mm. And again, estimated about 60%, a little bit more than 60%, right? Now, then if you look at all the other studies, it could range from anywhere between 2% and 10% of cases that might be labeled false reporting. Well, okay, that's, that's very low. That means 90% of the time, if somebody is alleging something, Mm -hmm. Because of all that they're going to have to do to get there, um, they're they're telling the truth. Right. So you you want to the the benefit of the doubt in this case is usually going to go towards uh, that person who claims that there's been abuse. But two percent that means two in a hundred. That's mm. that's a lot. Ten percent that's that means one in ten might not be uh, you know legitimate. Telling the truth, right? So on the one hand. Even if the number is as high as 10%, that still means that 90% of the time you should expect that this is a person telling the truth. But if we look at what is meant by false reports, it's a little more complicated. And that is sometimes people will label something a false report when it's baseless or unsubstantiated, but mm. those are not quite the same thing. No. That, that is, it might be... They just um, couldn't prove it, but it doesn't mean that it's a false report necessarily. Right. They could, so a false report is a reported crime to a law enforcement agency that an investigation factually proves never occurred. That's probably a lot r- more rare than this research, right. this not 2 to able, 10% right. uh, would, would show. Uh, because you also have this idea of a baseless report. A baseless report is one in which it is determined that the incident does not meet the elements of the crime, but is presumed to be truthful. So in other words, somebody might be a sexist, but they didn't cross the threshold in law of an actionable sexual harassment mm. case. Okay, So it wasn't that they were it wasn't that the person was lying about the behaviors. It's that, 
you know, the prosecutors might have said, no, this is, this is not um, something that we see as criminal. Or you might have non-convictions. For whatever reason, somebody was accused of something, but they didn't get convicted. That doesn't mean that they were innocent. Right, right. right. You might have delayed reporting that complicates things so that they have to throw the case out because the evidence is too old. Or you might have, this is very common, people might change their tune later. Yes. In fact, there's a couple things that I've heard recently. Um, It's one particular story. I I first heard about it. It's called Anatomy of Doubt um, on This American Life podcast. That episode was called Anatomy of Doubt. And then Netflix also did a series on this, you know, expanding sort of um, this situation. It's called Unbelievable. But basically, just real briefly, there's a a foster mother that doubts the, the story of uh, this gal who she lives on her own, she says she was raped, and the foster mother didn't like she didn't think that she responded the way she would have expected her to respond or talk about her situation had she actually been raped. Mm-hmm. So eventually, she ends up, you know, saying that she didn't do it. Or I mean, sorry, sorry, eventually she says that it didn't happen. But then later on, DNA evidence comes out and it proves that she really was raped. And so Mm. I guess one of the things, too, it's important if anybody is, you know, if they say they've been involved in a traumatic situation, people act in all different ways. And it may not be how you think you would act or expect somebody to act. If somebody makes an allegation and then all of a sudden inexplicably just goes away, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were lying. It might mean that they were threatened. Right. It might mean that they were too scared. Right. It might mean that they have been so um, overwhelmingly controlled by this person that they were able to have um, a kind of gaslighting session with somebody or Mm -hmm. someone. So I'm not saying that's always the case, but that takes that number Let's just say let's just let's start it with seven percent. If you could kind of knock some of those that number down a little bit, you also have um, the wrong suspect, right? Yeah. So, um, so somebody might have said you, you you did this, but they got the mistaken identity. Mm-hmm. Well, that's different from a false allegation, yes. right? Or um, they might have said I I was at this place and but they were drinking and they they got the details wrong, and so it gets thrown out. The point is that especially since not all Police, de- police departments are trained in the nuances of these things. It seems that if you look across the nation, your numbers are going to not be totally accurate. Our point, friends, is that it is very, very rare. To have false reports. Real false reports, right? And even the false reports that you think are false reports might turn out later to have been people. That were real, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, so, and this, yeah, so basically this last point we were saying, obviously... There's there's no help to your cause when you are embellishing and that yeah. kind of stuff. And people usually aren't inclined yeah. so do to make do up that. stuff, yeah, right. right? So I would say you really should give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Right. Except that, you know, bleed, you know, think of it, don't, you know, think of it as if it did happen. And then mm. the investigation can happen and, and, and go from there. But you don't want to start from... From the standpoint, that, oh, that's too unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That that can't happen. It's like or this person's not you know not credible or whatever. Like you, right? You know you, that's the key. You, you and you know you in law you're giving people the benefit of the doubt before you put them in jail. Right. That's not what we're talking about. We're not saying put people in jail until they prove they're innocent. No. So like Michael Jackson's dead. All right. But like if Michael Jackson were alive, even friends, if you thought that the the documentary that exposed 
him to I, be a child yeah. predator. I which don't I, want my kids being babysat no, by him. You know, you, you you give the benefit of the doubt to the victim or the alleged victim, not because you don't recognize that we're in America innocent until proven guilty. Not that that's not even a good thing. It's that the allegations are so serious that until you can figure out the matter, you you, you want to protect other people. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, friends, for letting us go through that with you. I know these are difficult issues, and but what's harder than going through these with us, friends, on a podcast as you're driving or walking or doing the dishes is uh, having to live through it, right? Yeah. So if, uh, if, if this is really something that matters to you, friends, we're, we're, uh, we're rooting for you. It is, uh, it, yes. is a, it is a hard thing. Now, our cases, not so, not so heavy, right. right? What do we then say ultimately with Alice and Mrs. Munchausen? From all this... From all of this, I would, my advice, I guess, so, you know, putting that situation in perspective, I would say, first of all, it, if, if it, how frequent is this happening? I mean, if it's at a point where, you know, it now starts to affect Alice herself, then mm-hmm. she should, she should mm-hmm. look into a little further. One, what is going on with her friend mm-hmm. or this person mm-hmm. in their life? Can they be helped somehow? Mm-hmm. And then. Yeah, you don't need to go to social media and out, you right. know, out this person. You don't want to be aggressive but you, over but the top. you can either provide a letter or go to coffee or whatever and just say, you know, this is not helpful for me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would really want you to stop. If, if, if right. it crosses that point where it's now interfering with Alice's, you know, just mm-hmm. <laughs> life. But to Lao Tzu's point about, chap, you know, in chapter 69. Maybe give the foot. Give a it, foot. If it's not that harmful. Right. But if it just becomes this really sick and unhealthy thing, then you just kindly, decisively go in and say, this, this is not going to yeah. be, this the is my story. Yep. You can't use my story yeah. for your gain yeah. in, and under the guise mm. of doing something kind mm. is not helpful for me. There so was a moment, stop. there was a moment when I thought to, when, with Alice's question that I, I was not grateful for her question because it's a tricky question. It it, is. I was hoping it would be an easy question, but I guess now I want to thank you, Alice, because that's what makes it kind of important and helpful mm-hmm. because, you know, and when I teach ethics, we don't ask whether or not it's ethical to torture a bunny. We ask whether or not it's ethical to uh, use a bunny to help develop a medical cure for ch- childhood leukemia. Okay, mm-hmm. so because you're, I mean, and even that's not it, right? Like it's more well for acne, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So you, the, the the harder matters are the ones that aren't immediately clear. So right. thank you very very well, much. Well, and then the other thing I would add too is if you're noticing this, the other people probably are as well. Yeah. So they're seeing through her or his ways, Mrs. Munchausen, as we're saying, mm-hmm. but there, other people will see it. Yeah. And so even maybe at a certain point, just for saving herself for her yeah. own embarrassment, you yeah. say, I love you so much, or I care about you, or whatever it might be. Yeah, this looks a little tacky. This looks tacky, and yeah. I, I don't want that for you, and I don't want to be involved with something like this. Right. So that's another right. thought. You know? Right. And maybe give positive ways mm-hmm. to be more helpful, because sometimes, this is totally true too, sometimes people want to be very helpful. They just don't know. We don't know what to say to so it. many times, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, people saying, oh, it'll get better, or, you know, maybe it's not going to get better. Right. So people don't like being lied to. Or if somebody's dying, you know, people coming along and saying, oh, you're fine, you're going to beat this. Well, maybe they don't want to hear that, you right, know? Right. So listen more than you speak. Easy enough for old Mallinson to say, blabber <laughs> mouth. I got the gift of gab now for so, us. The big question. I don't even know what you're going to say. So for the context, the 
the, the thing that I want to do is I want to engage Bikram Chowdhury on his Twitter page where he says, look, I am not a bad guy. I didn't do anything wrong. Look how many people are helped by my yoga practice. I obviously am not the person that this documentary says I am. Okay? So he's, gonna, he's trying to continue to, um, he's going to continue to operate his yoga teacher training in Mexico, mm-hmm. even though there are these allegations that are very serious, he is not coming back to the United States so that he doesn't get prosecuted. Right. He's got judgments against him that he's not paying out, you know, and um, I'm not so much interested in, in my proposal isn't that I'm going to go there and just hassle him. I want to, on occasion, if he makes a claim and people are wondering on his, you know, on his Twitter page, if it's, if it's a re, you know, if it's a reasonably cool thing for them to to go check out, my world isn't gurus as much as it is uh, Christian evangelicals that sometimes get a little bit um, uncomfortably saddled up with sure. with unjust causes. Okay, right, so politically, I have my answer. Give it to me. All right. So when you see somebody that is, and it comes across your path that mm-hmm. is blatantly lying about their abusive behavior Mm -hmm. that is traumatizing to folks. And he probably Mm -hmm. is in a position to keep re-traumatizing people. Right. I think it's important to one, first of all, you double check your facts and make sure you know that there are real judgments against him that he is avoiding and that people have won these prosecutions. Right. Right. I mean, we can't just, we saw a movie on it. We can't assume. Yeah. That is really tacky. There's always somebody who sees a Ted talk or something. They go nuts. Yeah. Right. So make sure that you have all the facts, right? And if you Mm. do have the facts, then I would say that, Without the emotions getting involved, mm-hmm. but pointing people once again to the facts, mm-hmm. even here's the judgment that was against him. Mm-hmm. So there have been, you know, there are people right. that have been hurt by him. It's important that you know this. And my expertise is more in, in uh, arguments, right? In, in, in logic and philosophy where I'd say that does not follow. You don't, right? yeah. Your argument's no good. And, and so. So you, you don't want him to be able to rewrite history. Right. And especially if he's going to be in a position to continue to hurt people. So right. as long as it doesn't consume you and as right. long as you don't allow emotions to get involved yep. and that you become this, you know, this like just battle. I and mean, I think that there's, there are definitely, you know, other fish that we could probably be more helpful with than frying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? That's right. It's not going to do much. My little tweet wouldn't do much. But, but... I think that, that again, a lot, you know, if, if a quick and easy little tweet that, Points people back to the facts. Don't allow him to, you know, just rewrite history or, or get mm-hmm. away with something terrible. Yeah. Is, is probably, I would think, the right thing to do. I'm so... But now do you yeah. go and, like, start researching and being the private investigator of no. Big Rom? I just See, don't that'd think be that un- that... That'd be unhealthy for me. I think that's me. unhealthy. No, that's exactly where I was going, baby. I'm so glad. High Yay. five me. High yeah. five me. Yeah, because what I was going to say is afterwards, if I'm not going to do it immediately, I've got some things to do. <laughs> got to go to a play tonight, and we're going to do a little conversation about a play about universalism and what's that about. But um, that's what I want to do. I want to say, not just in this case, but in every case in my life, I don't want to get tangled up in contentious stuff. Mm -hmm. But if somebody speaks falsehood, I'll just say, no. That's false. That's not true. Here's the evidence. And then just walk away. Yeah. And if they want to come back, I'll lovingly say, it's possible for you to change your whole life, man. And, find a renewed purpose by kind of confronting why it was that you right. were able to become what you became. But I bet he didn't start out wanting to be, you know, but denying what has been proven 
true. Yeah. Well, there's oh, everyone's going to deny what's proven true. I think again, the the main thing there is that that argument that really I think ticked me off was the idea that he said because the I magic helped. works, yeah. and that's kind of our expertise. And I mean. That's what we're doing right. these days, right? We're saying the magic is powerful, yeah. And don't let bad people, yeah, get a hold of that magic. It's a lesson for anybody who's who's reading this stuff, and it's a lesson for all of us, friends, that just because something's powerful and wonderful doesn't mean we have to put up with anybody who thinks that they own that power, because nobody owns the power. You own you. On our next episode, we're going to be looking at the ways in which Jesus is a really radical teacher when he says, you know. All these religions around the world are really worried about what hill that you worship on or what, what holy land is the holy land and who owns the holy land. and Is this the building where I'm supposed to meet God? Which is the true temple? Jesus says, you know what? It's not the church and the steeple. It's you open the doors. It's all the people. The people is <laughs> yes. what matters. People and are. you, friend, matter. So you are the presence of the holy and so you, in all of this, you don't have to fight anybody if you, don't, if, you, if you just don't have it in you or you don't want to. Don't, don't worry about that. Just remember that you are in charge of you. Yes. And as you go about your daily life, you don't want to be looking for those battles, I hope. Instead, the whole point of it is all in search of finding deep peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.